Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah. This is Cog Dog Radio. Last time we kicked off a case study about a Sheltie named Danny who has had some pretty significant fear issues, um, sound sensitivity, a general kind of distrust of training environments, um, a major uh, running off behavior when she was afraid, just just a lot of stuff. Um, her trainer, Graham, was really struggling to get her to engage in any kind of training. It was all positive reinforcement-based training, no corrections, but she still just would maybe do a couple of repetitions of anything and then would quit and want to go to her crate and want to leave the environment. So if you haven't listened to that one, go ahead and stop this. Go back. Listen to uh, Danny part one before you listen to this because today we're going to get really deep into the nitty gritty of what we actually did to help Danny and I think it's a really interesting case. So I mentioned last time that in shaping, um, so in shaping any kind of behaviors, Danny, first of all, didn't have a lot of experience with it. She had been primarily lured um, before Graham started working with me. And he didn't start working with me because Danny had a hard time shaping. He started working with me because Danny would check out of training. So they would do agility, and as soon as they would kind of get going on the course, she would just run to the door and not want to participate and things like that. So I started to get Graham going with shaping for her. And we found that she wanted to participate in that either. So very quickly, right off the bat, she would disengage, want to leave the environment, um, maybe even stop eating. And Graham was using super high value food. So one of the things that we did, um, is we started to implement a procedure that I just call you're, you're never wrong, but sometimes you're more right. <laughs> and what that means is essentially we're going to pay the dog for every single thing that they try, but we're going to pay them more for the things that we'd like to see really continue. Um, how do you pay them more? You could pay them more by feeding them several times in a row. Or in Danny's case, because she's a tiny dog, so we didn't want to, you know, fill her belly with food too quickly, we would just have two different types of foods. We would have kibble and we would have actual meat. Um, or sometimes peanut butter. Danny really loves peanut butter. So we would just have two very clearly different um, levels of importance on the food. And she would, I had Graham use different markers to indicate which treat she was getting and that way we would hopefully avoid some disappointment factor by telling her which one she was getting. So one of the first things that we did with this is we wanted to teach Danny to just do a back foot target. The way that I teach this is I just kind of magnetize the dog to an object. We were using just a wooden board. Um, that was raised about an inch and a half off the ground. So we just use a little target board. Um, initially, we just magnetize the dog to the object. And that just means anytime the dog indicates or touches or goes towards the object, we're going to mark and reinforce. And when the dog is what we call magnetized, meaning 
anytime that object is in the environment, that's where they want to be because they realize that that's a hot zone, that that's where they get um, their reinforcement. Then we just kind of strategically place the reinforcer between us and the dog with the board behind the dog. And then what they're going to do, they're either going to circle back around to get back on the board or they're going to take a step backwards. Dogs, generally speaking, want the shortest path to reinforcement, and so they will take a step backwards and figure out that that's easier than circling around. But Danny would sometimes still circle around, and so what we would do when she circled was I would have Graham say yes and give her a piece of kibble. And then if she took a step backwards um, or placed her foot back on the board in any way, he would click and give her meat. And very quickly, we got no more circling, and we got all walking backwards, and most importantly, we got no quitting. Um, we got no checking out. We got a dog that was into this game, that understood that she could always win this game, that this game didn't need to be hard, and it didn't need to be scary, and it didn't need to be frustrating at all, and that she wasn't going to feel disappointment, and she wasn't going to feel confusion. I've said it so many times, I believe that confusion is one of the highest power aversives that we put on dogs, and we usually put it on them on accident. Um, they hate it. I think they hate it almost more than anything. And Danny is certainly no exception. And so as soon as she felt confused, she's basically just going to check out. She's basically saying, you know, I'm putting myself on the line here. I'm working super hard. If you're not going to be clear, um, I'm going to leave. And she's not the only dog I've worked with that that is really like that. And if you have a dog on the other end of the spectrum, what you might be getting instead is barking and kind of frantically throwing behaviors out. Um, Danny's personality is that she's just going to exit left. <laughs> That's just what she's going to do. Um, so dogs respond to this in different ways, but they're all feeling the same kind of confusion. And so now Danny's a shaping fool and this is where we started and now Graham can teach her anything. She get, He can teach her anything um, with a clicker and, you know, one level of treats. And really, really important to me for clean training practices is that um, he can now withhold clicks, withhold marks, withhold reinforcers for behaviors that we don't want to see repeated. And she can figure out um, how to get him to click more um, without needing to be fed for every single response. So She's a fast learner now. They're working on a dumbbell retrieve. It's looking fantastic. Um, a dumbbell retrieve is not an easy shaping project um, for dogs or people, and they're getting it. They're getting it really, really nicely. And so what I think is important for us to remember in shaping is that mistakes are for the person to worry about. They're for the trainer to worry about, not the dog. I don't want the dog worrying about oh, I did that wrong, I need to change my behavior. I want the dog just worrying about that got a reinforcement, so I need to change my behavior to get that to happen more, or I need to maintain a behavior to get that to happen more, as opposed to um, the dog worrying about, I'm not getting paid, that means I'm doing it wrong. 
um, or that means, you know, I'm confused and I, the path to reinforcement is not clear. It's our job to arrange the antecedent or arrange the scene in which we are training in such a way that the path to the right behaviors is the most clearly lit path. Um, and the dog will walk down that path because that's the path that we have shown them. And that's, to me, the mark of a skilled trainer is you're not seeing a lot of mistakes because the dog, it's, you've made it so easy for the dog to find the right answer. And when you can't do that, yes, be liberal with your reinforcement to help them just stay in the game. And that's what we did with Danny. Um, now, so this has evolved a little bit. And now if Graham's going to embark on a tough shaping project that, you know, maybe he, maybe his path isn't totally clear. So maybe he's doing some information gathering sessions, which anytime you're doing a, a tough shaping project, your first few sessions are probably just that. They're probably information gathering. Um, it's probably mostly about that. Um, when you're going through that information gathering phase, you can take one of two routes. You can either just pay the dog for every effort, but pay them more for the right efforts. Or something we've recently introduced to Danny, um, because it's something that Graham and I both heard Ken Ramirez present on at Clicker Expo, um, is introducing her to a signal that she can actually use um, that's essentially an opt-out signal. It's essentially a, I don't want to do that, so I'm going to do this signal, uh, kind of signal. And what that means is we have a really specific, it's like a yoga brick um, that we're using. And anytime she chooses to go hit that brick, she's going to get a click and a treat. So the brick is in the area and we're trying to shape another project, but anytime she goes and hits the brick, she's going to get marked and reinforced. So that's always an option. So reinforcement's 100% available all of the time. And this is something that Ken presented not as something for everybody to go try. So I want to make that clear that we that Graham and I decided mutually to try it with Danny because we both were at the presentation and we both thought that this could be just kind of the flip side of the same coin of feeding her for everything. And we're not really sure where that's where we're going with that um, quite yet. We've done it a few times for a few different situations. We've kind of decided a few situations to not have it in. And this is one of the things that we'll talk to Graham about um, in his interview uh, portion on the podcast. So those are just a few of the things that we've done. One of the other things that I had Graham do with Danny that's been really helpful is we took a page out of the um, zoo animal and marine mammal training book and introduced something called protected contact training. And protected contact training is, is just as it sounds. You've got some kind of wall or barrier between the animal and yourself. And it was designed to keep the trainer safe. So anytime they're training an animal that is highly capable of or likely to harm the trainer, uh, protected contact will be used. And in this case, it wasn't about that, although I've since then recommended it and also seen it used really well with aggressive dogs where the trainer may actually be um, 
at risk. With Danny, it was more about getting Graham out of the picture because she had become so reliant on his subtle body cueing. And that really comes from his lure reward training. She had no, she had very little understanding of actual verbal cues. She was really just watching for subtle hand movements and things like that that he was doing to cue her behaviors. And so we had to get away from that and had to help her think on her own without watching him so much. And I could certainly just tell him, quit moving your hands, quit moving around, quit doing these things. But I do like to train people uh, in general the way that I train dogs, which is make the path to reinforcement clear. And so we just kind of took away, took away the option of him visually showing her and we put up a barrier and we started with behaviors that Danny was already familiar with. So behaviors that had already been reinforced. So we did some targeting types of behaviors first, for instance. And pretty amazing. I think this was kind of a turning point for her. This was one of the first times that I saw her really, really thinking and problem solving on her own is when we did protected contact. Um, and then eventually we added protected contact to a few different shaping projects and had her just really figure out, you know, how to do all of this thinking and problem solving without trying to figure out what the answer was by looking at the person. So if you've got a client or a student or maybe you are struggling with the dog, um, picking up too much on subtle body cues. We all want to work on our mechanics, but one way that we can um, just kind of get some success in the meantime as we work on our mechanics is by using protected contact. And if you have a dog that's afraid or shy um, or aggressive, again, protected contact is fantastic. And so with Danny, we just used, um, we just used, so an X-Pen is all we did. And I think an X-Pen is something that most people have around. Um, you could also have the dog in a crate. You could also have the dog behind a baby gate. These are all really nice ways to just work on that protected contact. Um, uh, sorry, protected contact procedure so that um, the dog can work on thinking on their own and the person can also work on their antecedent arrangements because if you're not there to body prompt and body lure, um, you've got to be better. You've got to be smarter on that antecedent arrangement. So moving along, um, one of the other things we did with Danny, which I think was super beneficial for her and that I've done with a lot of dogs since is something I've kind of decided to call look and learn, which is literally just allowing the dog freedom to explore an environment at their will. One of the places I was doing private lessons when I was seeing, when I was first seeing Danny, um, was a friend's farm and we would do a little bit of work and then we would leash her up and let her lead us wherever she wanted to go on the farm. She wanted to go see the chickens. She would check out the horses. She even took us into the dark, scary barn a few times, which was very brave of her. And just having her these, having her 
just do these exploration breaks, I think served not only to as a decompression type thing because sniffing and searching around is decompressing, but also allowed her the self-confidence because she'd never really been allowed to just explore a novel area on her own and learn that she was safe doing that. And I didn't let Graham lead her at all. I, I had him follow behind her on a loose lead. The only reason she was on lead at all was to keep her safe. As we, as I mentioned last time, if she got scared, she would run away. So we needed to keep her on that leash to make sure that she couldn't leave. But the second that she didn't want to go forward or wanted to go a different direction, we just followed her. And I don't think we think about this, guys, but a lot of times we just lead the dog always and we don't let them just explore their environment. And I think it's very important to do so. So I thought that that was a big deal. And I think Graham thinks it's, it was a big deal as well. And we'll hear a little bit more about that from him when we talk to him. And... Now, Danny's um, shaping with Graham is benefiting from the fact that we also worked hard on getting all of the training very clean. So strategic reinforcement delivery all the time. We used a lot of just delivering the cookie. So click, deliver the cookie to a target so that she was certain where her reinforcement was gonna come from. She, you know, a click wasn't just, and now I'm throwing food at you, but a click meant, and now I'm placing the food on this predetermined target so that you are very clear about where your food's gonna be. Without that, you guys, we wouldn't have gotten um, very far at all with her two by two weave pull training. So we just used um, a target plate She'd go through the poles, we'd click, we'd deliver food on the target plate. It was majorly helpful for her because then she had something to drive to. This was a dog that just wanted to follow Graham through the poles. She was, she said, the safest thing for me to do is to just fall behind and follow you, but we needed her to drive ahead and think on her own. And so using targets to deliver the food to was a big deal. You would be amazed how much stress you actually add to the dog's learning environment when you're not clear about where reinforcement will be delivered. And so that's something that everybody can think about. Um, I'd mentioned last time a little bit that Danny struggled with puzzle toys. Um, she wouldn't really chew a frozen Kong if the puzzle toy was hard at all. She wouldn't do it. And today she is a puzzling fiend. She can do anything. It's actually tough to challenge her now. And we started this by just presenting her with very easy challenges, literally just cookies in a muffin tin. And then, um, cookies in a muffin tin under Kleenex. And I do something I call the PVC jungle because um, I have a lot of PVC lying around because I'm an agility freak. Um, and I'll just lay PVC poles out and I'll just scatter food everywhere within the poles. And then once the dog can do that, I'll prop the poles, um, almost like Cavaletti, but more um, kind of erratic in how they're set up and to just make them higher. So the dog has more and more and more challenge. And then I might put a tough surface underneath the poles. And then I might put something on top of the poles. And I'm just very gradually building up the puzzle and making it tougher and tougher and tougher. And when dogs struggle with puzzle toys, people get frustrated and they wanna step in and help. The best thing to do is to just present them with puzzles they can do. 
and very, very gradually increase the challenge. And what happens here is the dog starts to say, oh, I can solve these. When you look at a puzzle that you know you can solve, it doesn't matter how hard it is. You're going to get it done. If you look at something and you say, there's no way I'm going to get this done, you don't even want to participate, okay? So it's a little bit like teaching a child math. If you started with something extremely difficult, um, you know, if you started with long division, if you started with um, calculus, for crying out loud, they wouldn't get anywhere. So if you actually just layer the difficulty slowly um, enough that the child feels confident at every stage, they will learn math. There's actually some interesting parallels with math and shaping um, for dogs because we overface a lot of students in our school system with math. And what we do is create something called math anxiety um, that I definitely have. And the anxiety that we produce is just, it's a conditioned emotional response to being wrong all the time and to being unable to solve the problem. If you instead just always present problems that are solvable and gradually increase the difficulty, nobody needs to feel any anxiety about math and no dogs need to feel anxiety about shaping or puzzle toys. But if you present them with really tough things again and again that they can't figure out, instead you produce anxiety. And so we start where the dog can succeed in these puzzles and we slowly build it up until the dog knows they can do anything because their history is that they always figure it out. They don't have a history of giving up and they don't, because if they give up, you guys, they're giving up on the food that they want. And that's yucky. That doesn't feel good to them. And so they don't have a history of giving up. They don't have a history of getting frustrated. They only have a history of success. And then over time, they also have a history of feeling challenged and still succeeding. And that's a really important piece for them to understand. And now Danny can solve any puzzle toy that we give her. She's actually tough to challenge. And more importantly than that, she can solve any shaping project that we give her. And I believe there's no hard research on this and I wish there was, but I believe that the two are related. I believe that when you give the dog the ability to solve problems on their own, they are better at solving problems in shaping and they're more confident in shaping. So Danny's certainly an interesting case. Um, I really, I really think she's fascinating. I've really learned a lot from her. So I hope you guys are learning a lot from her too. Shoot me some emails if you have questions about her at cogdogradio at gmail.com. And I will try to get those answered for you in the next episode. And then we are also going to be talking to Graham's trainer, Graham, I'm sorry, Danny's trainer, Graham, next time too. So thanks for listening. Be sure to check out um, that next episode.